Over the past several months, we've been working our way through the Paul's letter to the church in Rome, uh, which is one of the epistles or the letters in the New Testament. We've seen that Paul has been writing. Uh, Paul is one of Jesus' authorized spokespersons, uh, one who was a terrorist and, a, and one who rebelled against Jesus. God brought to his knees and brought him to open up his eyes to see the grace and mercy that was offered to him in Christ. And he's now using Paul to take this good news message of the gospel, that the, that the gospel or this announcement of God's kingdom is the power of God for salvation. It's not the power of God for the salvation for those who try and who work and who labor or who are religious or who do things, but it's the power of salvation for those who believe, for the Jew first and also for the Greek or the non-Jew, the Gentile. Uh, and this has brought up questions as Paul's been going through, especially over the past three chapters that we've been in, in chapters uh, 9, 10, and 11. Because if this message of the gospel is the power of God for salvation for the Jew first and also the Gentile, then why in the world are we not seeing more Jews coming to faith? Paul is asking. And maybe those who are, who are, are seeking to uh, uh, consider this message that Paul's sending out or this church in Rome that Paul is seeking to get to support him to take the message of the gospel even further? Why should we support Paul? Why should we trust the message that he's proclaiming if more and more uh, Jews are not believing? And so he's been asking this, these questions. We saw early on in chapter 9, he asked, well, does this mean that God's word has failed? And Paul says, no. No, uh, because uh, what's been going on from the beginning is God is the sovereign one who extends salvation to those to, with whom he would show mercy, and he extends judgment or hardening to those whom he would harden. Uh, the question then goes on that he asked uh, last week. Uh, does this then mean that God's rejected his people? That he does not have anything else to do with the Jews? And Paul has said, no, look, uh, God is still at work. There's a remnant that he's saved and chosen and placed aside by grace that he's saving and bringing to faith in Christ. Paul himself is a believer in Jesus. He was a Jew. And now Paul is saying, look, God is redeeming and saving a remnant of Jews that are coming to faith in Christ. The elect are believing and being saved. The rest, Paul told us last week, are being hardened in God's judgment. This brings up another question, though, that Paul is asking about this hardening that God has brought on some of the, the Jews. Uh, the language that he used at the end of describing what this hardening looks like played out in Jews' lives was that God gave them a spirit of stupor. He gave them eyes that wouldn't see. He gave them ears that wouldn't hear. The question that Paul is asking this week is, does this then mean... That Israel has stumbled and fallen uh, so that now there is no more hope for them. That they are irrevocably set aside and, and there, there is no possibility for salvation. The few Jews that are being saved, that remnant at the time of Paul, that's kind of the, the last little bits coming. But there's now no more hope for Jews moving forward. What is God's purpose? What was his intention for in hardening the hearts of the Jews at this time? That's the question that he seeks to ask and answer. And hopefully as 
uh, as God's people this morning, as we're reading through this, I want us to, to, to see and come away with three things as we, we recognize and see what God's purpose is, that it would lead us to having evangelistic passion, that it would lead us to having a humble posture, and that it would lead us to, uh, to being and, and pursuing fearful perseverance. So if you would, uh, turn with me to your copy of God's Word. We're in Romans chapter 11. Uh, we're going to be looking at verses 11 through 24 this morning. If you're following along in one of the Bibles there in your seats, this is on page 947. We were on page 946 for many, many weeks. We have now moved one more forward. So look in there, verse 11, as we hear from the Word of God this morning. So please follow along with me in your copy of God's Word. So I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles, so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Now, I am speaking to you Gentiles, Inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches." But if some of the branches were broken off and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, well, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. Well, that is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will He spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in His kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief will be grafted in, for God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? Let's pray. Sovereign God of grace and mercy, we thank you that you've given us your word. You continue to make yourself known. You continue to speak through the scriptures, and we ask and pray that you would do so this morning. We pray that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear. Give us a spirit of understanding, not of stupor, that we might grow to know and trust and love and cling to Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. Uh, kids, if you want to draw a picture this morning, what I want you to do is draw me a picture of a, a tree. And on this tree, I want you to write names on all the branches. But listen to where I want the names to come from. is believers. 
believers of the one true and living God from the Old Testament, believers of the one true and living God from the New Testament, believers that you know of throughout church history, and believers today. Put all those different names on the branches and include yourself if you're believing and trusting in Christ. And bring me the, uh, the picture afterwards and we're hanging up on the wall. So uh, you're making a, a tree with the branches with names of believers throughout, throughout history. So um, let's uh, look together here in, in chapter 11 as we see Paul asking this question that has to do with God's purpose his intention, what was he after when he hardened Israel, unbelieving Israel? Notice, uh, he, he says, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means, Paul says. This wasn't the end goal. This wasn't the purpose. What was God's purpose in hardening the hearts of the Jews and their rejection of him. Well, notice in, in verse 11, God's goal and purpose wasn't so that the Jews would stumble, but it's so that the gospel would go forth. Look, first, we're going to see how the, the intention and the purpose was for the gospel to go forth uh, to, to the Gentiles and for the gospel to go forth to the Jews. Uh, look, in, in verse 11, by no means, rather through their trespass, the, the Jews' trespass, or the consequences of their hardening, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Salvation has come to the Gentiles. God's purpose and intention was that the gospel would go forth and the Gentiles would come to hear of the saving knowledge of Christ. In fa fact, he, he mentions and uses that similar language uh, throughout here. Uh, look again in verse 14. He says, uh, um, sorry, actually it's uh, in, in 12. Now, if their trespass means, first he said that means salvation has come to the Gentiles. Now in verse 12, now if their trespass means riches for the world, salvation for the Gentiles, riches for the world. But then also look in verse 15. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what was God's intention? Salvation, that the gospel would go forth that the Gentiles would come to know that he is the one living and true God and that salvation only comes through trusting in his provision. God's purpose and goal and intention wasn't to harden Israel that they might fall and never be pushed, never be brought to him, that they would be irrevocably cast away. No, God's purpose and his goal was that the gospel would go forth to the nations. We, we've already seen this uh, in uh, Romans already and in our look in, uh, in Exodus before. Remember previously where this idea of hardening came up. You remember earlier in uh, chapter 9 when, when Paul talked about God hardening a heart. The heart that he mentioned in hardening before earlier in chapter 9 was the heart of Pharaoh. Now remember... As we, as we think about this, God wasn't operating just on some neutral guy. 
Remember, Pharaoh, like the rest of humanity, is in Adam. Paul told us back in uh, chapters 4 and 5. And due to being in Adam, we inherit his guilt and his grime because he was our representative. So Pharaoh already was a sinner in rebellion against God, but God hardened his heart. Why? Well, in Exodus chapter 7, listen to what what it says, what God said was going to be the result and the purpose of what he was, was doing. In Exodus chapter 7, he says this. In verse, beginning in verse 3. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply many signs and wonders in the land of Egypt... Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt by my great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am Yahweh when I stretch my hand out against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. You see, remember, we see uh, throughout Romans and throughout the Scriptures Uh, Two intentions and purposes are operable in everything. Remember, God is sovereign over all things. Hairs falling from heads, birds falling from skies, the rise and fall of nations, the decisions of kings, the acts of humans, and in our salvation and in our judgment. But we saw that, that we're not robots. We're acting according to our desires. And so just like with Joseph and his brothers, God had an intention. What was his intention? To do good, to bring salvation by sending Joseph to Egypt. But the brothers were also acting. They sent Joseph to Egypt. What was their intention? Evil. And so here we see two things operating. What's God's intention? In the hardening. That his glory would be displayed that the Egyptians and the nations would know through the mighty acts that he pours out on Egypt and on the hard, hard-hearted Pharaoh that his glory would go forth. And in fact, that's the result. In fact, when Israel comes into the promised land, the people of Canaan are fearful because they've heard of the mighty acts that God did on behalf of Israel through Egypt. His glory was going out. But Pharaoh was operative too. Pharaoh hardened his own heart. What was his motive and his intention? It wasn't the glory and honor of God. It was the glory of Pharaoh. It was rejection and rebellion of the one true God and Pharaoh just wanting to do his own thing. And so we see this happening. And it's happening here again. What is God's intention? Israel is in rebellion against God. They want to establish their own righteousness. They do not want to bow the knee to King Jesus. They want to earn and merit their own salvation and do things their own way. And God in His judgment hardens Israel's heart. But why? So that the gospel would go forth and that the Gentiles would know. This was God's intention for Israel from the beginning. Remember, what did He say to to Abraham? When He called Abraham from Ur of the Chaldeans, He says, I'm going to bless you and make your name great so that through you all of the families of the earth would be blessed. The purpose of Abraham's election and his redemption and his salvation was so that the good news of the gospel would go forth. The same was true of Israel. Israel, I'm calling you 
so that through you the, the good news message of God providing salvation for sinners would go to the nations. And here God is saying, whether you're walking faithfully with me, Israel, or whether you're in disobedience, my purposes will stand and the gospel will go forth because God has a passion to see the gospel move and advance and go to the nations. But it's not just the nations here. Notice, it's also Israel. Israel's heart was hardened so that the Gentiles would be saved and so that salvation would come to the Jews? Yes. Look at what Paul says. Again, back up in verse 12. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will the full inclusion mean? Meaning, what, what will happen if Jews begin to believe? If so much blessing and good has resulted in their rejection of the gospel and their punishment and their judgment, how much more so if they begin to believe and embrace the promises of the gospel would more blessing come to the nations? In fact, that's what Paul says God's desire and intention is. Look at what he says in verses 13 and 14. I'm speaking to you Gentiles inasmuch them as I am an apostle to the Gentiles. I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. You see, God told him this before. Back, we, we read this was when Paul was quoting from Isaiah in, in Romans 10, verse 20. Isaiah was so bold as, to, or sorry, it was Moses up in verse 19. Now, did I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. Why? So that Israel, who's rejected their God, when they see the blessings going to the Gentiles, would think, man, what are we doing? Look, they've come to know our God. They're experiencing the salvation and all of the fulfillment of the covenant promises. What are we doing? Let us join them and turn back to our God and be saved. That's what Paul's saying God's intention is. Is that as Israel rejects God, the message is going to the Gentiles. We saw that in Acts. Paul first goes to the synagogues proclaiming Jesus. What do the Jews do? Reject him and beat him and try to kill him. What does he do? He says, I'm turning from you and I'm going to the Gentiles. And what do the Gentiles do? They rejoice. They rejoice that the gospel came to them. And now Paul is saying that as the Jews, hopefully, as they see the Gentiles embracing Jesus, they would be jealous and they would come and they would look to Christ in faith and be saved. You see, what Paul is recognizing is that God's intention and His purpose is we have a God whose desire is for the gospel to go out to the nations, to use His people to take the good news message of the power of God to save sinners to the world. And notice, Paul as he recognizes that this is God's intention and his purpose, both in the salvation and election of sinners and in the hardening of sinners, how does Paul respond? Paul responds 
with an evangelistic passion of his own. Paul looks at the purpose and the intention of God and says, if that is what God wants to do, that is what I want to do. Notice how he says that. Look in verse 13. Now I'm speaking to you Gentiles inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles. I magnify my ministry. In other words, I throw myself into it. Why? So that the Gentiles will come to faith in Jesus. And also so that some of the Jews would be saved. A desire to see their hearts opened and then to see the hope of the gospel that is still on offer to them and they would come to faith in Christ. And notice what Paul says would be the result as Gentiles are coming to faith in Jesus and as Jews are coming to faith in Jesus. What will it result in? Notice what he says in verse 15. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what then will their acceptance mean? But life from the dead, transformation, those who are dead in rebellion being resurrected to new life as they come to faith in Christ. This, Paul says, is why God is hardening the Jews. Were they disobedient? Yes. Were they rejecting God? Yes. Was that their intention and their uh, motivation? Yes. But what was God? Sovereign over all things. It was so that the gospel would go out. Well, if that's Paul's response to understanding and recognizing God's purpose, to have an evangelistic passion, should it not be ours as well? Should not we also, seeing the purpose of our God and what He's doing in the world, be moved to be participants in seeing the gospel go forth. We, we saw Paul motivating us from the negative side a couple of, of chapters ago and saying, well, if you don't share, then people will not come to know and they will not be saved. People are in danger of going to hell if they don't hear the gospel and God is redeemed and saved and sent you out to proclaim the message. Here now, it's, a, it's an encouragement from the other side. Do you not recognize what will happen? Gentiles will come to faith in Jesus. And, and through Gentiles coming to faith in Jesus, Jews will be moved to jealousy. And those Jews who have hardened their hearts against God, God will save and redeem some of them. God is intentionally desiring and purposing and carrying out His purposes in election and in hardening to save and redeem His sheep. And we have the privilege to participate in that. To be those who share the good news of the gospel. We should grow more and more in our desire, praying for the lost. Praying that Gentiles around the world will come to faith in Christ. Praying that Jews who continue to persist in their rejection of the righteousness of God that's offered to them in Jesus will come to faith in Christ so that life will come to the world. But it's not just prayer. Paul isn't just praying. Paul's sharing. He's speaking. May we also be moved with this evangelistic passion to speak these words of life to those who are dead. Not just that they will come to life, 
but so that the world will experience the transforming power of the gospel that Paul can describe in no other word than that the, the, the effect that it will have on the cosmos will be likened to resurrection, life from the dead. It's God's intention to harden Israel so that they would stumble, so that they would fall and, and forever have no hope before God. No. Purpose is so that the gospel would go off, go forth, and salvation would come. And so we as well should have an evangelistic passion. But notice, it's not just that our response should be to have an evangelistic passion, but it should also be to have a humble posture, an evangelistic passion and a humble posture. Look in verse 17. Well, first in verse 16, Paul begins to use uh, an example. He's drawing from imagery uh, from the Old Testament. One, is where he first mentions here, if the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. Here he's uh, talking about uh, offerings that, were, that would happen in, in numbers as far as things that you were giving to the Lord and setting apart for him. Paul's saying if you take uh, a little piece and offer it, then the whole lump is also holy. And then he gives this example of talking about a tree and root and branches. And this is going to drive what he's talking about in the rest of this section. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. And now he's going to use this illustration from talking about olive trees. Notice what he says in verse 15. But if some of the branches were broken off, meaning the unbelieving Jews or those that God hardened, he cut off of the tree... And you, although a wild olive shoot, who were not connected to the tree to begin with, if you were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. Do not be arrogant. Paul says, as you begin to reflect on what I'm telling you, as you recognize the electing grace of God and the hardening judgment of God, that your response must never be, look at me. God cut them off so that I could be put on. Why did he do that? Well, it's got to be because they were so messed up and I'm so great. Of course, I just got it. God knew that his people and his purposes would be better off with me on the team, with me grafted into that tree. Because look at how gifted I am. Look at how much blessing I bring to people. Look at my deeds, my righteousness, my acts. I have it together and they don't. There's no doubt in my mind. I completely understand not only why they were cut off, but why I was grafted in. Paul says, no, 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 no. You must never respond to the good news and the truth of God's election and His hardening with having a hard, arrogant, prideful heart. Do not be arrogant. He goes on and explains why. You've been you who are grafted in with the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree. Do not be arrogant towards the other branches. If you are, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root 
that supports you. Well, then you will say, well, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. Well, that's true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith. And he continues to go on. Uh, uh, do not uh, be arrogant towards the branches. If you remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root supports you uh, in verse 18. Uh, so the, the idea in the picture that he's given, I don't know if you've ever seen people uh, cutting trees down around town. Maybe you've cut one off in your yard. Um, have you ever gone around and see as people go down and they cut their tree, uh, do they ever throw a rope over a branch, hoist themselves up, and then saw off the end of that branch that they're hooked their rope on? No. What's going to happen? They're going to plummet to the ground. You never see after somebody goes through and, and cuts trees down in our community, just branches hovering over people's yards. No. The branches don't support the tree. It's the tree that supports the branches. And if you're foolish enough to, think, to get it mixed up and think that it's the branches that sustain things, then it will be disastrous for you. And you will plummet. You want to trim branches off of a tree? You climb up the trunk. You cling and you hold to the trunk with all that you can because if you cut the, the branch off, it's gone. That's what Paul is saying here. Don't ever think that it's about you. Don't you realize it's the root that nourishes you? So what do we do if we find arrogance and pride in our hearts? Notice what Paul tells us. Do not be arrogant towards the branches in verse 18. If you are, remember, it's not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. The example and the illustration that he's given here is going back to this, this tree that he's talking about is the people of God. And what is the source, the root, the nourishment of this tree? It's not Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. No. It's the grace of God. It's the covenant of grace that has established this people. Of God saying, it's not about you. It's about me and what I'm doing. And I'm offering you righteousness through faith. And I'm offering you redemption and salvation. Not because of anything you've done, but because of me. And if you ever begin to think that it's about you and not rooted in the promises of God and His work on our behalf, then we're setting ourselves up for failure. And the arrogant heart, Paul says, is humbled. How? By going back to the gospel and realizing the source of the establishment of this people is rooted in the free grace and mercy of God. It's rooted in God's covenant of grace that has been unfolding and come to fulfillment in Christ. But this has always been a struggle for God's people. What is it? What is it about us? When we come to understand the blessings and the benefits and this covenant that God extends, that we're so tempted and we struggle so often, not do a heart of humility, but a heart of pride. You remember, we, we've seen God in the Old Testament. He was correcting 
His people for this attitude as well. Look in in Deuteronomy 9. As the people are going, they're getting ready to go in the promised land in Deuteronomy. And notice what God says. See if this sounds familiar to what Paul is saying. Do not say in your heart, after Yahweh your God has thrust the Canaanites out from before you, it's because of my righteousness that Yahweh has brought me in to possess this land. Whereas it's actually because of the wickedness of these nations that Yahweh is driving them out before you. Not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart are you going in to possess this land, but because of the wickedness of these nations, Yahweh your God is driving them out before you, and that he may confirm the word that Yahweh spoke to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob. What's going on? Well, it's because the Canaanites are wicked. It's not because of you. It's because of their wickedness and the sovereign grace and promises and purposes of God. What do we see in over here in chapter 11? Is it because of your righteousness? No. It's because of their unbelief. They were broken off, he tells us in verse 20, because of their unbelief. So, but the same thing, the other side of it is, it's why have we been grafted in? It's not because of our righteousness. It's not because of anything about us. It's because of God's grace and His mercy. Other people have been cut off because of their unbelief. But why are we grafted in? That tells us why they're cut off. Why are we grafted in? Remember what Paul said, or what Moses said earlier in chapter 7 of Deuteronomy. Yahweh has chosen you to be a people for his treasure possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It wasn't because you were more in number than any other people that Yahweh set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest. But it's because Yahweh loves you. And he's keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers. Again, love and grace. They have been cut off because of their wickedness and the purposes of God. But you, you've been grafted in. Why? Because God loved you. Because of anything about you? No. Because God loved you. Because of something I did? No. Because God loved you. And he's extending his grace to you. Because that is the kind of God that he is. So what should that do? That should humble us. That should bring us to our knees. We should never look at an unbeliever as hard-hearted, as arrogant, as militant as they may be against God and his purposes and ever have a posture of anything but humility. We must always be humble before them and before our God, because this is what we see. And Paul's driving this home. God's purpose in salvation and election should draw us to be humble. So we see here, God's purposes drive us towards an evangelistic passion. It drives us towards a humble posture. And lastly, it should move us to fearful perseverance. Look in verses 19 and following. Well, then you will say, well, branches are broken off so that I might be grafted in. That's true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you, you stand firm through faith. Do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note the kindness and the severity of God. Severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you 
provided you continue in His kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And even if they do not continue in their unbelief, they will be grafted in, for God has the power to graft them in again. Now, what is Paul talking about here? Is he, is he saying that it's possible to lose your salvation? Does being grafted into the tree mean you're saved? And then cut off from the tree mean you've lost your salvation? Well, again, remember, we've talked about this before. Clearer places in Scripture help us interpret the less clear places. And what have we already seen Paul confirm to us in this letter to Romans so far about the salvation that God provides? Remember back over in chapter 8. Chapter 8, verse 28. For those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, God's purpose and what He will accomplish in the redeeming of His people is to conform us to the image of His Son. Therefore, those that He predestined, He called. Those He called, He justified. Those He justified, He glorified. And Paul's talking about it in the past tense. For those that God has predestined and determined to save and redeem and justify, the only end result will be justification and glorification. In fact, later in this chapter, he tells us in chapter 8, I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We cannot be separated from the love of God. In fact, Jesus, back in John chapter 10, as he's talking about... uh, saving and redeeming his sheep that God has given to him. He, he says that I have hold of them and no one will snatch them from my hands. And the Father who is greater than all has a hold of them. If no one can snatch you, saved one, out of Jesus' hands, guess who that includes? You. You. You cannot snatch yourself out of the hand of your Savior who has redeemed you from the hand of the Sovereign One who is purposed and intended before the foundations of the world to redeem you at the cost of the blood of His Son. He's not letting you go. You are too costly. And He loved you too much. So what is Paul talking about here? Paul's talking about those who would be connected to the people of God just outwardly and content with that. Remember, that was the problem that that he's been talking about in this section so far. Israel was content just to outwardly go along with doing the religious actions and the works, saying with their mouths or their clothes, or their attendance to to worship services, or their giving, that we follow the one living and true God. But their heart, what did he say? Was far from me. Not all who are Israel are Israel. You can be outwardly connected to the people, but internally not embrace the promises from the heart. And it's those who fail to embrace the promises of the heart, circumcised or not, You will be cut off, Paul says, removed from connection to those promises that God extended to you that said when you look and trust 
in my provision, you will be saved. But if you, if you decide to set up your own righteousness, you'll be cut off. And what hope is there for you? The same thing is true for us. Notice Paul's talking here to Gentiles. Some of you, he's saying, you have been grafted in. You have been connected to the covenant people of God. The one people that extends from these covenant promises from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. How are we united to the visible people of God? Well, we saw it last week. Profession of faith and baptism for adults, right? Tucker and Kayla were baptized and brought into this visible people of God. Isla received the mark of baptism, visibly brought into the covenant people of God. Now, there are many of you here who have been baptized. You've attended church maybe all your life. You can sing Christian songs. You knew the words of amazing grace. You didn't hear how to look up on the, on the screen this morning. But you know in your heart and in your actions, apart from that, there's nothing about your heart or your life that demonstrates that you're resting and hoping and trusting in Jesus. Paul says, do not depend on your outward demonstration. That was Israel's problem. Do you think that God will deal any differently with you if you're content to trust and rely on your baptism? If you're content to trust and rely and say, well, look what I put in here. If you're content to say, well, I celebrate Easter, don't I? I'm not celebrating Ramadan. Why is he going to reject me? I believe there's a God. Guess what James says? The demons believe there's a God. So if you're here this morning, hear God's warning. A real and true warning to those who would say that they're believers. God will cut you off from his people if you persist in your unbelief because the call is to embrace those promises from the heart. Now, there may be some of you here this morning who you're under church discipline from a church, who they've said to you, due to your persistent, uh, ongoing refusal to repent and you're moving forward in uh, in rebellious, unrepentant sin before God, that we've cut you off from the church and a desire to see you repent and turn back to Christ. Hear this warning. Do not persist in your rebellion. May this be the day that you hear not just the warning, but did you hear the offer? Did you hear the offer of mercy and grace for those who have been cut off? Listen to what he says. If you do not continue in your unbelief, You'll be grafted in because God has the power to do it. Here then today, the severity of God who will cut off those who persist in unbelief from his people. But if you turn to him, you will be saved. If you're some of our covenant children here, you've been baptized. You've grown up your whole time in this church and in Christian family. Don't just... Say, well, I'm a Christian because I'm a Christian. Don't just be content to go through your life and say, well, I go on Sunday, I read my Bible, I do these things. No. Remember what God spoke to you in your baptism. Look to Jesus. Rest in Jesus. Hope in Jesus. That's our only hope. It's the only one who will save us. 
Notice, that's what Paul is encouraging us to do. Do not become proud, but fear. If God did not spare the natural branches, neither will He spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness. His kindness to you, provided you continue in His kindness. Do you hear His mercy? Do you hear His grace? Will you abide there? Will you continue there? Will you persevere because of the grace and the mercy of your God? He's preserving, yes, but He calls you to respond and walk in faith. If this is God's intention and His purpose, then we need to respond in all these ways. Evangelistic passion, a humble posture, and fearful perseverance before the God of grace and mercy and kindness. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the free offer of the gospel. We thank you how you continue to come and hold out your hands and plead before sinners. How in your kindness and your mercy you come uh, to those who have fallen, have been cut away, and calling them to belief and repentance. We pray that we would hear your words as well. Those of us who are who are now still uh, abiding in Christ, connected to your visible people, would we stay and abide and persevere in your kindness, in your mercy, and in your grace. Amen.